Rejoice, heavenly powers, sing choirs of angels. Let the people put their hands in the air and wave them like they just don't care. Let the people from the east side say, ho, ho. Let the people on the west side say, ho, ho. Let's get this party started. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So have you had like a ton of work? He's been really swamped. Oh, not the last few days. Holy Week was crazy, dude. Because I was in the parish and... It was busyness, but in a way that's, like, completely different than the busyness here. Mm-hmm. Where I more or less made my own schedule, you know, besides a few things. Like, there were hard deadlines on when Mass was going to start on Thursday or Good Friday, Holy Saturday. But those were all evening things, and then it was just a matter of, like, how much work do I want to do to get this stuff ready and make it nice, you know? Um, homilies and... What not different things I had to prepare. I found myself polishing the inside of a tabernacle at one point. And I'm like, no, this is worth it. Because it's going to be for the people and Jesus and it should be nice. And I don't know, it was like drawing all this generosity out of me to do tasks from the most menial to the most sublime. You know, where I'm like preaching at Good Friday, which was awesome. Then preaching Easter Sunday. And this is at the church that you, <coughs> your first assignment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know the people pretty well, and that, that week was great because I got to spend a lot of time. I got to go to breakfast with a guy and saw a lot of the school kids. I got involved in a thing at the school that they had, like a prayer service on Thursday because they had early dismissal and then a three-day weekend for Easter and um, I don't know, just feeling like a little bit more assimilated into the community of the whole thing and like I have a place there. Yeah. And the people are excited about my ordination and all that. And it's just really cool to be able to share all of it with the people who are actually going to be on the receiving end of all this preparation that I've been going through. Mm-hmm. Um, one grace of the of the week was, like, after all this, um, preparing for, especially the Easter Vigil, because that's kind of the the climax of the whole church year, and the big mass, and uh, there were three little kids getting baptized. And did I tell you this story? I told mm-hmm. you about the little girl, I think, Rob. I have not heard this. There was, like, a seven-year-old girl, another girl that was about seven, and then the girl's brother, who was maybe 11 and uh, one girl especially was just, like, even at the rehearsal in the morning on Saturday, was so pumped to be baptized. And it was so cool to see um, the faith of this little kid and also the expectant hope in her eyes. Like, whenever I was telling her, you know, how it was going to go at the baptismal font and all that, what the priest was going to do, what he was going to say, 
she was just like wide eyed and totally into yeah um, what was going on and remember I practiced the baptismal promises or vows or whatever that you ask do you reject the lure of sin and all of that she's like I do as <laughs> a little kid you know do you do you renounce Satan and all his lies I do yeah <laughs> you know like really intense questions that you ask a kid or or very complex and theological questions like do you believe in Jesus Christ his only son or lord born of the virgin mary you know suffered under pontius pilate and all these things that as a 7 year old you, you have some doubt as to like whether they can really comprehend what all that means at least the implications and her, all she's doing is waiting for you to stop talking before she can say i do you know and for me, it was a very cool image of faith, you know, because when it comes down to it, we, we work out a lot of the intellectual rationality of the faith and saying, you know, this corresponds to this or that anthropological phenomenon and, you know, the human heart always longs for God and this is the revelation through salvation history and this is what the scripture says and what it means literally and spiritually. and Like you go into all of that scholarly work on the on the faith and when it comes right down to it you gotta think we're all that little girl you know i believe all of this because someone i trust told me to that and told me that it was true um because i wasn't there when jesus rose from the dead but i believe it and i've had all sorts of experience that i can point to that to me lends credence that it's true to the point that I'm about to lay down my life completely for him, mm-hmm. you know, and I believe that he's alive, you know, and it's like the scriptures this, this weekend are, you've never seen him, but you believe him, you know, uh, and that's really true, man. And just seeing this little girl, like so stoked to be baptized and like get totally drenched by the priest who just dumped the whole like flagon of water on her. And was this a Hispanic girl? Uh, I think she was Hispanic descent, but everything was in English. Okay. Um, but what was cool for me afterwards is like that was that was a huge payoff to me of like the polishing of the inside of the tabernacle, the you know the flowers and all that you know going to pick up the flowers at the place, loading them and moving stuff around and doing the kind of like grunt work was for that, you know, so that this kid's turning the lights on at the right time Mm -hmm. during the Gloria and stuff, right? All to like a seven year old, dude, I would never forget that. You're you're like the center of attention for a good, like 15 minutes, you know, and the three that got baptized, got to light everybody else's candles in the church with their candle. And I kind of emceed and deacon. So, you know, I, I made sure that they knew what they were doing beforehand and then kind of like guided them during the thing, but let them be free to kind of do this because that's a pretty cool experience to be like a little kid, seven-year-old, and you're lighting everyone's candle in the church, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize this, but one of the people getting confirmed was the mother of not this girl, but the other girl and the boy. And so this family was coming into the church on the same night, you know, her two children getting baptized, confirmed first communion, and she was getting confirmation of first communion. 
and I didn't realize that until after the mass and they were taking pictures and they wanted to get a picture with me and um, she said I've never been this happy or something like that and I was like wow that's really that's really great and it's just a really cool spirit and I felt very sort of lighthearted and everything was sort of cool and easy and it's like 11 o'clock on Holy Saturday after this long long week of working and um, I didn't feel tired you know I felt like totally energized by the whole thing and I just went back to the rectory as I was starving and dehydrated and I'd sung the exaltet and chanted the gospel oh wow my voice was kind of crushed mm-hmm. um, and so I'm eating like some of this bread that the Hispanic community had gotten blessed at the mass and given to me and just drinking a glass of water and I heard some people out in the parking lot still kind of milling about so I was in that mood, like the extrovert mood, and I was like, I'm just going to go say what's up, you know, and so I took my glass of water and my piece of bread out there, and I was like, hey, what's up, and it was this this woman and her kids and, like, some of her family that were also dressed up, but they were still kind of, like, in their baptismal gowns and stuff, and they were they were lit up, too, you know, they were just glowing and happy, and she said to me, hey, you know, I've been wanting to tell you this. Now, mind you, I've never met, I'd never met this woman, at least that I could remember. I mean, she looked kind of familiar, but I didn't remember her name or anything like that. But she said, I've been meaning, meaning to tell you this um, all day. Um, but I thought you might think I was weird. Because God kind of tells me things sometimes. and um, I wasn't going to say it, but you came back out here. So I just I just think I need to tell you that God's really proud of you. And there was something about that. It just totally stopped me in my tracks, you know. And it went, like, right to my heart. And I knew it was real. And I didn't think she was crazy at all, you know. And I believed her. But it was there was something really even more, uh, I don't know, there's something so Jesus about it to have it be this woman who had just been received into the church, you know. Mm-hmm. And here I'm like, at the end of six years of seminary and I'm about to be a priest and it's like from out, out of the mouths of babes, you know, that she, she told me what I needed to hear from God. Like she spoke his word to me Yeah. when that's kind of my job. And it was exactly what I wanted to hear and didn't even know I wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. And I also realized like meditating on it later that it wasn't all the stuff I did that he was so proud of. It was just me, you know? And that's kind of the resurrection. That's kind of what Jesus does. He's like, look, guys, now now it's you. Now you get to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I'm proud. If I, I'm, I have pride in you, you know? That you're my trusted creature. That I'm going to give you this job to do my stuff. That God could do on his own. He could make that church look nice. He's got power. But he has me do it and create this thing so that the sacrament, which is not my doing, can occur and something really miraculous can happen in a person's life and then they can look at me and say, you helped do that. Uh, And that's kind of the mystery of the priesthood. And as I get closer, you know, me and Scott today were practicing Mass, using the vestment that I got and... uh, my chalice and stuff 
and it's just like the dingy basement classroom thing with a little table in there and like literally a Xeroxed like scan of a tabernacle picture <laughs> taped to the back wall and um, but it's like we're practicing to say the mass and I, you know every year I've heard of guys like oh I gotta do my mass video do my mass exam and saying these practice masses with actual bread and wine and um, you know there's something kind of routine about it and the fact that like I've been going to mass every day for lots of years now and I know kind of how this goes and, but there's also something like there's moments every once in a while where this is in my hand and I'm saying these words and and you're like uh, you get struck with the awe and the un- unworthiness but at the same time I think the last thing God wants to hear out of us is oh I'm so unworthy don't do this you know when it's kind of like if you were really in love with someone and you were like I just want you to be mine like, and I just want to shower her love and gifts on you and she was like oh no you don't like me I'm too ugly or bad I mean first of all it's kind of an insult to the one in love with you and it's just a total buzzkill for the lover and God has told me time and again in my life and made it clear that this is my call and shown me some of the great beauty and mystery of kind of what's in store behind this veil and uh, gotten me really excited about it and it's like I am worthy in a way you know because he says I am Hmm. yeah and he picked me and he's proud of me you know I, I guess it's like I don't think that's a sin or prideful to say that because it's it's what I believe about how God sees me you know uh, that he approves of me and all that and that's I think that's like the biggest grace of getting to the edge here I've never prepared for something this long or made a lifetime commitment this serious you know and and that's also not to say that <clears throat> You're you're worthy because you did X, Y, or Z. Like this is something that you earned. That's exactly my point. Yeah. Like you are only you are worthy in that God has asked you to do this and he wants you to do this. And that is the sole merit. It's the yeah. same thing that we were talking about today. Um you know, the sinner who reaches out for God's mercy and asks for his forgiveness, the good thief is saved the same way that the righteous man is saved through Jesus Christ. And that is it. And the only way that you or me or Rob or anybody is worthy of priesthood is through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is it. And everything else is unimportant, both being worthy and being unworthy. There's nothing that you do is going to make you more worthy. Like, oh, now he's definitely, yeah. now he definitely earned priesthood. Right. No, that's not going to happen. And then in the same way, you know, you can't take away that vocation. I, I guess you could do something that was a detriment to orders, but that worthiness is solely based upon the fact that God has chosen you as his son, or God has chosen us as, as his sons to participate in Christ's priesthood, which is so cool because... Just like you can't earn it, you you really can't. 
can't lose it in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very comforting. It brings a lot of peace, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I know it does. Yeah. That is a long time. That's a lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. What is it like, I mean, that you're... Well, I guess you experienced diaconate ordination mm-hmm. and, and really made that lifelong commitment then, yeah. you know? And now priesthood is what? How many days away at this point? Three weeks or something. <clears throat> three weeks. So even, like, for us, diaconate is still three years away. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it feels like it's not even a reality yet. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, this thing that happens a long time from now, but we have still have so many steps and things to do that it, I don't know, that's just what it feels like in a lot of, a lot of ways, but, um, like, what's it like with, I don't know, your family or people that you've been with, you know, been around your whole life, and in three weeks, like, you're going to be a priest? Have you seen changes in that at all? Changes in them, or me, or how I relate to them, or? Interactions, yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, it's been kind of a slow shift, I guess, and uh, I don't know, it all kind of revolves around how I see myself, you know, and how confident I am in that image of, of myself that I have mm-hmm. as a priest, and um, that came like kind of stepwise through the seminary, and each year was a little bit more... Like, this is who I am, who I'm becoming. Uh, but I think I used that this analogy when I preached at the uh, Holy Hour earlier this year of the Aristotle's, like, form form and matter thing, that, that an acorn has the form of an oak tree in it, but it takes in the matter mm-hmm. over time. And ultimately that form is revealed in how it appropriates, like, soil and water and sunlight and all, all the different nutrients in the soil that it organizes into something that at the end you see is a huge oak tree, tons of leaves, and it gives shade and all this stuff. Um, but it's directed at that because of the form that's inchoate in the seed. Mm-hmm. And I really think that vocation is like that. Uh, it's who you are deep down, even way before you ever knew it, yeah. and ever did anything about it. That God made you a priest, Mike, and Jews, Connor. And that's true of when you were in your mother's womb, and it'll be true of you in your deathbed. Uh, and all of the prep, I mean, seminary is like the hardcore, that's the greenhouse, you know, like where you're really putting heat on this plant so that it flourishes, you know. And there's times in my life where it's been, I've like watered it very little, you know. Uh, and that's not to say that I'm the one watering it either, you know. It's kind of like right. circumstances and, and God's providence and where he put me and the people that put me around, you know. Uh, but, like, seminary just kind of ramped it up. And every year, like, this past summer in the hospital, just like the, the exhausting work of, visiting sick and dying people every day for like eight hours a day mm-hmm. for ten weeks and realizing like I'm not afraid of this you know mm-hmm. I can show up and I can not run away and I can uh, I can know that God wants me to say something or not say something or, or whatever um, and that I can give of God's spirit 
even just as a baptized, this is before I was even a deacon, even just as a baptized Christian, I can give of God's Spirit in a way that I don't know you from Adam, and I can't identify with your suffering. I've never died before. I've never had cancer. But I can sit here with you and actually do something, not just be like a social worker or a psychologist or grief counselor, but actually carry the light of Christ in me. And that that's sort of like mode of being a priest, where you come in and you represent God. And what you say is like God saying something. Or you're the only person that prays or knows how to pray. And so they lean on you because that's all you can do in this moment. You know, We just pulled the plug on this person who's who's basically dead. What do we there's nothing to do but pray. And I'd be in these situations and I'd be like, what am I doing here? I don't know these people. I feel like a complete tool in this striped shirt and khaki pants and a freaking hospital badge that says chaplain intern. Like, I don't feel welcome here or anything like that, but I would just stay and that was like the act of faith that God used. And then, I mean, every time, I'm thinking of one time in particular, but every time they would turn and say, can you say a prayer? Or I would offer and then they'd be like relieved. Hmm. And we'd pray and, you know, afterwards I got got a lot of things like, thank you so much. That meant a lot and all that. And I don't remember what I said because, I don't know, it wasn't my words or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I can point to just dozens, hundreds of experiences like that that made me feel more and more capable of this, you know? It's like, this is sort of the grown-up Connor, uh, that God has sort of been a father to me. He's very, He's been the father to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And trained me and taught me how to be free in these ways to, to like, do this crazy, awesome job. And, uh, and not be afraid, like, to go everywhere and take possession of it in the name of Christ. But I belong here, like, in this hospital room. I belong in this person's house, you know? Just the other day, during Holy Week, I think, I was at the parish, and, uh, these kids, I tell you this story, these kids were playing guitar over in the park, like, right across from our church. I've not heard this one. Yeah, I haven't either. And, uh... I just saw them, they were like doing something on this gazebo, and it looked like they were filming like a movie or something. Then there's another kid with a guitar, there's like a wheelchair, there's some like lights, kind of movie style lights. And I was like, what's going on over there? My pastor and I went to dinner, and I never took off the clerics, I just kind of unclipped the collar and just having some portillos, and when we got back, they were still in the park. And I was like, maybe I should go over there. And it was like one of those those decisions that's made like in between when I opened the car door and when my hit, my foot hit the concrete mm-hmm. I was like already walking over there and buttoning my collar and uh, I just go over and they're all like 19, 20 years old and they were kind of like they saw me coming in the blacks and like the first the kind of ringleader was like hey pastor how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, nice I had to pierce through some of the awkwardness at first, but after a while they explained to me like they're students at a university making a a short movie, kind of for fun, kind of for school, and explained the whole plot to me, and it was kind of of a cool idea or whatever that 
and this kid was had the guitar and I asked him if he played and it was kind of like a cliche AC Slater turn the chair around and be like hey what's up dudes I'm a cool priest <laughs> you know <laughs> but in a way it was like okay that's I'm okay with being that even though it's cliche or dorky or whatever but I was just being myself and I was curious I would have done that anyway probably asked what they were doing but it was just like added sort of aura because of the clothes I was wearing and he, I asked, one of the kids was like, come on, play him a song or whatever. Cause I asked if he played guitar and mm-hmm. the kid sort of awkward, like wasn't sure if that was, you know, still like the, the awkward hesitancy. Yeah. And then I was just like, can I see that thing? And I just started playing a Mumford song and, and like one other two of the kids knew it and they were like, started sitting around cross-legged on the grass and. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wrote this one, too. And I just started playing one of the songs I wrote, and, like, more kids came around. There was, like, you know, ten kids sitting around. And, and then the one that had the guitar originally was like, yeah, let me, let me see that. And he, he played one of his, and it had, like, the F word in it and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, everybody's comfortable, you know? Yeah. And we're just talking. And, like, I'm interested in their life. They're interested in mine. And we're having this encounter, basically. And then it was like, they were waiting for it to get dark to film another scene. And the director kid was like, all right, guys, we, we should probably, we should probably start. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want inter- to interrupt what you're doing here, but uh, I just wanted to say hi. And they're like, totally, dude, like, where can we find you? <laughs> kind of thing. And I was like, over the church. And like, yeah, maybe I'll come over there for Easter and whatnot. And, nice, man. Um, so that's another, like, a couple things about that. One is that uh, I was a shy kid, you know, mm-hmm. and I was really afraid of stuff. You were a shy kid? Very shy. Like, were you an introvert growing up? I don't know what those words mean exactly. I've heard a lot of <laughs> definitions, but uh, people say I'm an extrovert now, and I've heard, like, you get, extroverts get energy from being around people, which yeah. that's very true of me. But... Um, I, I, sometimes I think like introvert is just a synonym for shy, which in that case, yes, I was an introvert as a kid. I was, I was deathly afraid of like being thought uncool. Like I think a lot of adolescent kids are like that because I was kind of uncool, but then I sort of came into my own and, you know, realized my talents were not, I wasn't going to be Michael Jordan, uh, which that's like what I always thought when I was in fourth grade, like, well, I'll just play in the NBA. That's what I'll do for my living. And I, I guess I'll probably be nervous. I remember thinking, I might be nervous before games. Like, I've been to Bulls games, and it's like tons of people there. <laughs> but I guess I'll just get over it. <laughs> like, that's how deep the fantasy went. And then when I didn't make the team in sixth grade, I was like, oh, my God. I don't know if that's a core wound or what, but... Sounds like one. Um, it's deep. That's mm-hmm. cutting you deep. Yeah, it sounds like that one cuts. Really don't give up deep. on your dream, though. But now, like, look at look at me, and I'm not saying this to say, oh, great, Connor's so great, but um, I'm not afraid. And it's not because I'm so cool, like, I can handle... I still say stupid stuff, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, trust me. And I did, I did, a, I did that at least once. Now that you bring that up. Yeah. On uh, Good Friday, I did that. I was trying to, like, you know, talk to these, these teenage girls that were, like, just lagging in the, in the living stations thing. 
you could tell they just didn't want to be there. And I, I tried to talk to them, and they were, I just feel like I cannot reach you, and I feel and sound like an idiot right now. <laughs> but it didn't bother me because the same reason that I didn't, it didn't bother me, like, even if that interaction had gone terribly with those kids in the park, it wouldn't have changed the fact that God loves me and he's proud of me, you know? Uh, and so that's where my identity comes from. That's who I am. And nothing can change that, no matter who, who thinks otherwise. It kind of takes the gavels out of their hand. They can't judge me, or at least it doesn't matter, because their judgment is ultimately worthless in comparison to the, the judge's judgment. Um, and he's told me what he thinks of me and dying on the cross. So there's that, and then there's the like fact that in a way it had to be me, you know? In the way that God selects us, mm-hmm. it had to be me that went over there. I mean, it could have been any of us, but I just saw how God used like the certain talents and certain hobbies of mine to identify with these kids, mm-hmm. so that and maybe nothing will come of it. Maybe they won't come to church or or whatever. But still, there's that interaction, this touchstone that they can go back to. That not all priests are old or weird or whatever like kind of misconception they had in their head, um, or they can't do anything fun um so i don't know it's just it's really exciting priests can be cool too kids hey guys yeah look at me i'm wearing a backwards hat oh (laughs) nice totally lame shades (laughs) nice Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down, down.